Hello, hello, and welcome once more to the Rangers Rundown. I am Max, joined today by Mike. Hey now. And uh, Hayden is not feeling up to the task of delivering the hottest of nuclear takes on Texas Rangers baseball today. We wish him the best in recovering his nuclear take-making machine. It's down for service at this time. Which is good, because this game is uh, probably going to reduce some reactions if... uh, it continues the way it has, with one pop fly sunball run differentiating the winning and losing teams. <sighs> Texas Rangers baseball. We are currently in the bottom of the second inning in our Sunday finale against the Red Sox, where the first inning for the Rangers offense went Garrett Richards having no idea where the strike zone was, but still getting three swinging strikeouts. And the top of the second went Nick Solak not knowing where the baseball was. Our Rangers' best player <laughs> missing the ball. So, you know, classic. But that's what they get for leaving the roof open. I blame mm-hmm. it on the stadium. I think it's going to be pretty easy to blame stuff on uh, on the ballpark. And I'm, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at all the way around. You've uh, really only got about three more weeks before the roof will be permanently closed for the next uh, three and a half months or so. So... Yeah, yeah. Which which means uh, it seems extremely likely that some of Texas's beloved divisional rivals will never see the sun in Arlington, uh, just given the vagaries of the twenty twenty one MLB schedule uh, and Arlington summers. So that's that's going to be sort of a weird thing. Yeah, it it kind of is. It's Major League Baseball just uh, I don't know. They they just uh, trip all over themselves. The schedule is just uh, so screwed up with no. Uh, no real divisional games happening at the moment. I, I was extremely surprised when I was looking at the upcoming schedule here and saw Seattle, and it struck me like, oh, we haven't seen Seattle yet, and our, our first game isn't going to be until May 7th, uh, and that's still going to be a week before we see Houston, which is itself going to be almost a month before we see Oakland. We don't play Oakland until June 21st. Which makes no sense because we're I mean, we're seeing each of our division rivals nineteen times. Yeah. So you would think that you would space those things out. Nope. No. Yeah. June twenty first is the first time um, that the Rangers will see. We'll have a four game set in Arlington. Um, we'll then see the Royals at home, and then we'll go straight up to the left coast for a couple of games at Oakland and a couple of games at Seattle. Uh, which means that we won't see Oakland until we've already played five interleague series. And makes, I love interleague makes play. Makes no like sense. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm kind of happy they don't do the thing where all the interleague stuff happened at like the all-star break, basically. And it's kind of fun to have it spread out a little bit. And maybe you can catch some, some weird pitcher hitting or whatever nonsense here and there. Like, that's fine. It just seems extremely weird that Texas would see five National League teams before it plays against Oakland. Yeah, well... It's helped giving them a false sense of security because uh, Oakland just eats our lunch. So you know, yeah. it's going to make that the AOS standings, and I'm you know not expecting Texas to be very competitive. There are like a complete illusion at this point because no one has been able to beat the crap out of Texas yet, right? Except for the Angels. Um, so like, it's just it's just going to be very weird. And I was looking at the back end of the schedule, and we'll have the sort of same thing in reverse down the stretch, where or sorry, the same thing just just going straight through. We'll finish playing the um, A's on the 12th of September. Then we'll see our last series against Houston afterwards. We will have already seen the end of Seattle before 
we get to the end of August. The last game against Seattle is the 19th of August, and then we don't see them the rest of the year. Too weird. So it's all like right in the middle of the season. Um, and then down the, the stretch, after we finish that Houston series on the 16th of September, it's White Sox, Yankees, Orioles, the uh, Angels, and then Cleveland. You know, I, I'm, again, I don't think MLB was expecting Texas to be involved in a heated divisional race coming down to the wire like we have in, in seasons past. It does seem weird to not end the season, but it always feels like a, a couple of games against... Uh, Houston and a couple of games against Oakland where you know our all-star right fielder will just miss a ball and we won't go to the playoffs. Like I, It's just strange. It is. Feels really weird. We do usually see the Yankees at the very tail end of the season, though, for some reason. I don't know why that is, but... That does seem seem to be like a thing, at least anecdotally. I do kind yeah. of feel like we often get the Yanks. Those will be in New York as well. We'll have a couple of... Looks like some, uh, some pleasant early week night games in New York in, in that beautiful late September New York City weather. <laughs> Extremely excited for that and then Baltimore um, for, for everybody, just as a reminder that some parts of the country won't be 110 degrees in <laughs> middle September. Ah, the 2021 baseball schedule, just as weird as almost everything else in 2021. Yep. Especially baseball related. Just, uh, just going to be kind of a funky year. But it has been a, a fun year so far, just uh, watching some of the young core guys kind of yeah, put, sure. put everything together. You've got Solak, you've got Lowe, you've got IKF, you've got uh, Willie Calhoun, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of all coming into their own. Um, IKF kind of being at the bottom of that. He's batting, I think, 267. But with, mm-hmm. the, with the defense that he's playing at shortstop, you can definitely live with that. Definitely sure. putting and up another gold glove season. You know, he's not a big power guy, but you know, as I, I mentioned in an early one, it's not like they take those home runs off the board because he's hit too many of them. He's already tied his his career high for home runs in a season with his his rookie year when he played 111 games. He's hit That's four crazy. dingers in 28 games. He's not a big power guy for sure, but like he he could potentially be threatening double digit, like 10. That's technically double digits. Uh, oh, I mean, he's on a right. pace for between 15 and 20. Yeah. So yeah. It's been kind of fun. Uh, and, you know, obviously some of those guys that you highlighted there, Calhoun, Solak, Lowe, that's your one through three in the order today. Calhoun does seem to be settling into that kind of bizarro leadoff role. Yeah, I think that's weird. Texas is maybe best hitter right now in, in Nick Solak. Certainly it's hottest hitter in Solak in the two-hole, which is where you want your best slash hottest hitter to be. Nate Lowe continues to be pretty steady. Obviously that torching uh, start to the season cooled off, and he's picked it back up again. Gallo in the four spot, posting just the strangest statistical season I can think of in, in recent memory. Again, he's got a batting average. I'm sorry, he's got an own base percentage of over 400. So, full stop. You cannot be a bad player with an OVP over 400. You can be a very weird player with an OVP over 400, and that's why you can definitely be that. Uh, a guy known for hitting the ball, you know, literally a mile, is sitting on what two home runs. Yep, almost a month into the season, and an OPS of under seven hundred. Oh, we are a month into the season. Walks. Now. Yeah, we're a full, oh yeah, it's the second, so we're a full month in. Yeah, because opening day was uh, April one, so just just weird. I, I, I'm not. I'm still not going to be worried about it. Just like we talked about before, that he's taken the most walks in the league. Um, the power is. It's not like it's gone. Um, he's just. 
it's just strange. He's still striking out a lot. He's just not uh, not really putting the bat on the ball very much. And when he is, it's not doing the traditional go 700 feet, blow up a popcorn stand somewhere. Like it's right. been a, a weird number of singles. Um, he had a double earlier uh, last week. Yeah. That was stretched into a triple because no one seemed to know who to throw to because the shift was so way off, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I almost wonder if he, he isn't suffering some sort of um, secondary shifting effect. Yeah, he's, he has bunted for a hit this year. He has. Um, I, I remember looking at the stat cast numbers and nothing was really standing out. He, he's been like the, one of the most shifted guys in baseball since he came up. He continues to be one of the most, if not the most, shifted against guy. Like everyone goes into a turbo overshift. You typically got like four outfielders against Joey and no one on the left side of the infield at all. Um, and I, I can't say that I've been watching a bunch of plays. I'm like, oh, he got robbed by the shift. Like he, that's just what the shift is. It's 2021. We've been seeing this for years now. How overshifts work. I don't feel like he just keeps yoinking really good hittable balls that just are screaming into the midst of third baseman playing right field. No. But I wonder if there's something about his offseason approach to how he wanted to address his plate appearances that is interfering with his ability to like just make good swings. I, I don't know what it is. It's, it seems very weird. This is the strangest, I think, slump that we've seen from Joey. He is striking out a ton, but he's not striking out like 80% of the time. He's right. striking he, out at like Joey like a third of the time, which is a ton. And you right. say a slump, but he's batting 216 at least through last night. And yeah, we've seen worse batting average. Oh, yeah. With better OPSs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. so it's kind of hard to call it a slump when... It's one of his better batting averages. <laughs> yeah, I think I think especially like prior to that t- incredible start he had in 2019 when he looked like he was set on the world on fire and then got hurt. Um, yep. That was 2019, right? Yeah, yeah, it was 2019. Uh, we had like that first half of the season. His batting average was like 270. He had a billion home runs. It looked like he was truly had turned himself into a, a legit capital S star player and then he got hurt and kind of lost the rest of the season and that obviously really really sucked for him and for us as fans um prior to that though i think if you had told me that oh uh, yeah joey's sitting on a 216 batting average and a 400 opp i'd be like okay so he's an all-star like he is a stud player and somehow he's not doing that just because the home runs are, are have become singles this year right it's so, so he doesn't have the rbis either yeah i, I just don't get it I really don't think it's a problem. I think it's going to sort itself out. This is not a guy who's just going to somehow transform into a singles hitter. But I, I'm just going to keep being really confused by it every time I look at a stat line. Like, this is a man whose slugging is under 300. What? Yeah. What is that? That's not Joey. <laughs> it's, uh, he's slugging worse than Isaiah Kainer-Falefa by a lot. By over 100 points. That's embarrassing. He's looking worse than Jose Trevino. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's just strange. Um, so, I mean, kind of keep an eye on it. See see where that goes. Uh, there's nothing to do about it. It's just kind of, it is what it is. And hopefully those home runs pick up again. And he kind of writes that boat a little bit. Obviously, I don't want him to change too much of what the rest of he's doing. If this approach is going to get him to an OBP of over 400, it seems like a good approach. And then you really just got to hope that some of these singles turn into balls that are going over the fence instead of balls that are just like on the ground. You know, maybe right. there's a launch angle thing that's going on. I, I, 
I, I don't think there's enough data. When I was looking at StatCast earlier in the week, it just none of it seemed interesting enough to really go, okay, this is what's going on. You know, he's he's topping the ball like he never has before. Like I think he was, but the samples are still so small that it's very hard to conclusively look at it and say, oh well, his problem is that he's clearly changed his swing path and he's topping everything. I mean, maybe that's what's going on, but we don't know that yet. And I haven't seen anything from the team. Like I don't think I've seen anybody, you know, asking questions or, or coming out to his defense. So I. I guess that means either the team is extremely worried about it or they're not worried about it right and i think i think it's more reasonable to just not be worried about it because again the the dude does have an obp over 400 he leads the league in walks Uh, yeah one thing he's done is he's uh torpedoed his trade value i mean a lot of people thought that he would be traded at the deadline this year that is possible and i don't think that you're going to get anything worthwhile in return so I think he's worth more to this franchise than anything he could bring back. Yeah. I, I, well, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the season that it was just astonishing that the news came out that the Rangers have never engaged in extension talks with him. They've never right. exchanged numbers or even like really talked about it, which is just, just bizarre to me. Like he's, He just has been the most screamingly obvious guy to try and keep around. Um, obviously, he has a unique skill set, and that may be, be very concerning to teams, but he's also a unique skill set. He's he's Joey Gallo. Sure, he he hasn't done the like Aaron Judge thing of just becoming a sort of fringe MVP kind of guy, but I, it just seems so obvious to me to try and lock that guy up and use him as a a player you build around. You know, you don't have any off field concerns with him. He seems like a good teammate. People like him. He's always fun when he gets mic'd up and stuff. Like I, I don't know. It's uh, that's a hard one to to look at. And I I do hope that if there is a um, a sort of black lining to this cloud is that uh, Joey's season is so weird he can't get traded. <laughs> I guess that's something. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll just have to kind of sit here and twiddle our thumbs a little bit longer until the uh, the the dinger machine starts up. Maybe there's something weird about the ballpark. Maybe he has uh, like a bad sight line, like he can't see as well. I don't know what it is. I'm just making stuff up at this point. He has uh, <laughs> twice as many walks, though, as Nate Lowe, who I do think of as a pretty patient hitter. He's got an OVP of over 350. He's been probably the Rangers' second-best hitter over the course of the season, really to only uh, Nick Solak, and, and I think that, that really is um, just... I'm excusing Willie Calhoun from those calculus because he's only played, like, 10 games. Right. But uh, doubling up arguably your second-best hitter's walks, it's useful, but let's let's see it continue to develop. Right. Uh, I guess on the continued development, we're also seeing Adelis Garcia hit his adjustment period. The league has figured out what he is doing. He 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 hit those uh, what five home runs in the first like week or so he was with the team, and I mean he hit four. And he's hit one since. Uh, yeah, been a lot been a lot cooler. OBP is down below three hundred, but he's playing center field every day. He's providing some value out there. You know, he's not Kevin Kiermeyer or whatever, but he's definitely played a pretty good center field so far, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I, I he's just come back to plays. earth. That, yeah, that, for sure. And, and let's hope that you know he adjusts to the team is adjusting to him, mm-hmm. and and can uh, keep himself up in the majors. Yeah, it's all. It's and I talked about this. I think two episodes ago. It's one hundred percent going to be about how he adjusts to the adjustments. That's what dif- differentiates so many guys who are you know disparagingly called quad A players or just stay down in AAA for their entire careers. Uh, is if you can't make those those changes, make those adjustments, keep things clicking at the major league level, 
It's an extremely hard sport. Hitting is it's just wildly difficult. If you can't make it work, you're never going to make it work. Um, and obviously, it's a lot more fun to have a guy come in, light the world on fire for a week, go cold, and then maybe fix it than it is to have him just come up and suck for two weeks or something like that. So hopefully this is it. If this is the environment that he needed to, to make those adjustments and that he turns it around and, and keeps being a useful player. Yeah. He'll continue to be fun until then, though. I'll definitely keep rooting for him. Oh, for sure. I think we're we are 100% on the uh, the Adelise Garcia uh, train. Yes. Um, we'll get the, the Dane Dunning train rolling again in this upcoming series. So Texas does have a chance to take three of four from the Red Sox here with a good game uh, on Sunday, on today, when we are recording this. Uh, before we, we launch into the next little bit here, we'll have a, a four-game set at Minnesota. First game of that, we're going to see Dane Dunning again. Uh, it was his last start that was his worst one of the season so far, right? Yeah. He was very, very good. Had a, hopefully what is just a, a really crappy hiccup start uh, and, and, you know, kind of writes that boat. But, uh, I mean, I'm still I'm still tuning in for everything that Dane Denning does. Definitely. He is the uh, probably the most promising future piece um, with this rotation. Although Fulton Evans, I think, has been very interesting. Um, we've very much gotten the Mike Fulton Evans experience where it's uh, very boom or bust, which is just weird from a pitcher. But we've seen some of that today. You know, Fulty has definitely let some guys get on base, and he's had some issues. But when he's got the strikeout stuff, he had a gorgeous strikeout against was J.D. Martinez in the first inning, right? And the first? Yep. Beautiful pitch. Martinez is having a phenomenal year. He got an OPS over 1,100, I believe, or at least it was coming into the game. Um, that's, a, that's a good player to make look dumb on what I believe was a slider. Uh, which, as you had mentioned at the beginning of the season, is his most important pitch. I did not see the velocity on that slider. I guess I could look it up. Um, but if, when the slider is working for Fulty, he is a good pitcher. We saw that in just like that microcosm of one pitch to a great hitter. That's that's cool. Those are your two parts. Uh, you had mentioned Kyle Gibson's really really good season so far. Before we we hit play on that, I mean, you got some uh, you got some thoughts for us on on old Gibby? Yeah, I mean he. Uh... He's three and zero. I think his uh, ERA is somewhere around two point one five, if I recall. Um, he's you know after his ridiculous start that left him with a hundred and thirty five point zero ERA after one game, he's been lights out. He really has, and he's he's been the most stable pitcher on the team. And obviously, you know that that means that there's a very good chance that he'll be traded come July. But uh, yeah. good on him, you know. He's reestablished himself, and um, this could maybe lead to him, you know, getting another multi-year deal later in his career. And uh, you know, what more could you ask for a guy like that? Another reclamation project that the Rangers picked up. So it's it's been mutually beneficial this year, aside from opening day. And uh, you know, I wish the best for him. Yeah. So the, he obviously went one out. In the the opening day start, a, a true April Fool's experience for all of us. I will continue to hold up these types of games as the most Rangers games in my experience. Uh, when your team scores ten runs and loses by four, you are a Rangers fan. Like that is that is how that works. Um, when I, I got back into baseball, my my freshman year in college, and uh, I had a little tiny television that uh, that I brought with me to school, and uh, I happened to catch a national broadcast Rangers game, and it was uh, Texas and the Red Sox. So kind of kind of thematic here. And Texas scored, if I remember right, like 18 runs and lost. This would have been in 2008. 
Nice. Um, fall of 08. And uh, I, 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 it was the first time I had, I had watched a full Rangers game in a couple of years. Um, I, was, I had been living in Florida for high school and just I was kind of out of baseball at that point. Wasn't really following much of anything. And so I, I managed to catch a full game first through ninth innings. I think I was sick or something. And I saw this game was on it. And we put up, you know, like 15 plus runs. I think it was 18. 15 plus runs though and lost by several to the Boston Red Sox. And I was like, yep, same Texas. Like, that is that is my team right there. Um, but since Gibson's little April Fool's joke for all of us, he's gone at least six innings in every start, uh, three outings of six. He's gone seven and eight innings in the others. He hasn't given up more than one earned run in any of those starts. He gave up two runs in a seven-inning win against the Rays, where one of them was unearned. Um, you know, strikeouts are, are pretty mopey. He's got 27 strikeouts in 33 and one-third innings. He's not walking guys though, which is which is good. He's got a pretty respectable walk rate, um, down about eight percent. Strikeout rate, again, a kind of boring twenty percent. When you got guys like Jake Degrom who are striking out fifty percent of their opposing hitters or whatever, but still uh, losing games because the Mets won't score any runs. Yeah, and it is so true. There was a front page Fangraphs article that the Mets offense is exactly as bad as you think it is when Jake Degrom starts. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, Gibson has been extremely good since that awful, awful opening day start that I really thought was going to be a lot more typical of his whole season. I was obviously extremely low on Gibson and did not particularly, was not excited uh, to see what Kyle Gibson did in 2021. But he's been, like you said, he's been phenomenal since then. Yeah. Uh, and this is a guy who, you know, really is very potentially going to pick up some, some value and you hope that Texas... You know, keeps him valuable to the middle of the season and is able to to make a move there and potentially bring back something pretty useful after also maybe having given us some watchable baseball games. That's a win-win. Yeah, I'll take it. I, I don't mind watching a, a pitcher go out there and put up eight shutout innings in a one nothing win over Baltimore. That's just, it, that's good baseball. I mean, I would prefer is. to score like 50 runs for sure. When oh, I but I, I love a... Score 30 runs. I love a one nothing or a 2-1 to one game. Those... Mm-hmm. Or a blast to watch, in my opinion. A couple of pit- pitchers' duels. Yeah, those are fun. Yeah, and it's not like Gibson has been picked up a whole lot. We did score eight in the, the seven-inning game against the Rays. But, um, yeah, we, he has a, a loss in a game where Texas scored one run. He has a win in a game where Texas scored one run. A win in a two-run and a win in a four-run game. So he's going out there, and he's, he's really picking up what has been a pretty mopey offense in four of his six starts. The opening day start where we scored 10, and then that, that one against the Rays where we scored 8, sort of notwithstanding. Um, kind of nice. I guess yeah. he's 3-0 in the season, somehow. So I saw a pretty uh, <laughs> pretty random stat. We need to be starting uh, Charlie Culberson more. He's been uh, oddly extremely good in his limited play. So he currently has a six-game hitting streak. He's batting 467 over that stretch. He's 7 for 15. And get this, the Rangers are eleven and four in the last fifteen games in which he's he has appeared. He's their good luck charm. They they need to have him out there every night. Speaking of a good luck charm, Willie Calhoun just ripped one through the shift here into a right field. I see that, which is nice. Uh, yeah, Culberson obviously is a, a about as um, fungible a player as you get in the uh, the majors. He is a utility infielder. Um, his his biggest 
contribution the last couple of years has been he looks almost exactly like Dansby Swanson, so they had a very confusing left side of the infield in Atlanta. If anyone wants to know what Dansby Swanson looks like, he looks like Charlie Culberson. Just take a look. That's I'll take your word for it. They're the same guy. Um, but, yeah, he's been uh, he's obviously been really, really good. Uh, pretty limited. He only has 50 plate appearances so far this season, but his WRC Plus is 155. Um, so I'm guessing he, he's, he's playing when uh, left-hander is starting for the other team. I believe that's been the case, yes. Um, Which the Rangers have been good against left-handed pitchers this year, so that would stand. And they have the, the sort of weird secret weapon that Joey Gallo is historically extremely good, um, yes. power-wise against lefties. Yes, it's kind of fun. It um, is one of those fun little statistical notes that one of the you know the the most strikeout-prone guys in modern baseball, who in theory should be just getting destroyed by all the really good left-handed pitchers that exist, and should be striking out like eighty percent of the time is, I believe, uh, entering the season like the best left-on-left uh, home run hitter in baseball over the last like five years. I, I, he may have been passed by somebody, but I know he was up on the top of that leaderboard uh, when I looked at it last season. Oh, yeah. kind of wild. And I'm hoping we, he, uh, he picks it up again this year. Uh, Calhoun ripping that, that single there through the shift is cool because it highlights something that you also had mentioned, I think, right before we hit play here, that um, Willie was... He's, he's kind of taking what pitchers are giving him. His first hit was uh, ripped right back out into center field, kind of took a nice short swing on it, just hit the ball. He wasn't trying to pull it. He's not selling out for power. He's not doing the Regan Adore thing where he just swings out of his feet to put the ball in the second deck in right field. Um, and then taking that one and just having enough mustard on it that you can pull it right in between uh, your shifted right side of the infield yeah take what you're given hit the ball he was a double he was a double shy of the cycle last night he's already got two hits um early in the game today he's two for two so Mm -hmm. he's he's doing exactly what we thought that he should be able to do last year i think was an anomaly because of him getting hit in the face it kind of screwed up his season and it was 2020 so it is what it is, but uh, he's back to doing what he does best. Yep, and he's uh, not a guy who takes a lot of walks, but he's a guy who, you know, doesn't strike out a ton. Strikeout of uh, below fourteen percent this season, which is very, very good. Yeah, one of the better ones on the team. Exceptional. Um, his BABIP is obviously very, very good. You know, when when a guy's got a batting line of a three sixty two, four twelve, five eleven, there's definitely some some batted ball luck that's going on there. But that's not a ridiculous. He's not like BABIPing eight hundred or something where every little thing is turning into a single. He's hitting the ball hard. Um, he's putting the ball in play. He's looked pretty good on the base paths. This, again, this is no Byron Buxton. He's no Ricky Henderson. But he has been taking bags when they were available to him in places that. I think he could have reasonably not run and wouldn't have been made fun of. Um, and that's really good. It shows that confidence in his lower body that he's not worried about injuries. Um, yeah, if he's showing confidence at the plate that he's not still a little bit gun shy, which is extremely understandable for a dude who's been hit in the face. Um, that's good. That's an all around confident player. I like a, a swaggery Willie Calhoun. That's a really big addition for Texas. Uh, and if he can be the, the world's weirdest leadoff hitter, come on, bring it. I'm, I am so here for it. Yeah, he was uh, with his home run last night. I, for, I forget who it is on the uh, the Red Sox that played with him in the Dodgers system that he said is his best friend. But there Verdugo, was some, maybe? Yeah, I think that's who it was. There's some back and forth going on between them. Nice. Willie was rounding the bases. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely love to see uh, 
uh, that stuff. Let's see the personalities come out. We Texas has a bunch of guys who are probably not widely known across the game for their big personalities. We don't have a Francisco Lindor or a Mookie Betts or a Ronald Acuna Jr. But they're generally also like guys who are still having fun playing ball. It's a pretty young team. It's nice to see guys get mic'd up. Uh, there was that, that sort of big story going on about Nate Lowe being a very quiet young guy on a young team with Tampa who had never been asked to be a leader on, on teams before and has kind of stepped into that role despite being 25 and brand new to the organization this year. Um, but that's been kind of fun. It, it seems like a team that doesn't have a lot of outsized personalities in the clubhouse that would be detrimental to a team. Um, Texas has usually been a really, really good character team. Like it just, in my opinion, we generally had some pretty good players. Obviously, I having Adrian Beltre there and, and Elvis Andrews for years, I think, and Shinsu Chu um, helped. But now all three of those guys are gone, with, with Chu having gone back to the KBO, Beltre being retired and going incognito at uh, youth baseball games, which was pretty fun. <laughs> Uh, and Elvis being apparently playing for Oakland, although uh, we're not going to see that until June. So I don't know if that's true. You'd, you'd think there would be some potential for serious backsliding there. You could have a very quiet and a very passive clubhouse full of young guys who don't know what their role is. You know, it can be very hard to know, should I step up? Like, am I going to be an asshole if I, if I go and tell people how to do it? Like, am I supposed to do this? And they've generally been able to do it. So kind of fun. Um, you, you like bringing a couple of these older heads who are also not like known sort of red-ass players in like Charlie Culberson especially I've never seen that around uh, Brock Holt definitely has the mustache of someone who is enforcing some weird clubhouse rules uh, but hopefully is a, a fun guy as well that's, that's Tre- the Rangers man it's just a funky little team and Trevino, I think he's been somewhat of a leader for the team. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I overlooked him there. I think Trevino has absolutely uh, stepped up to some of that as well. Um, he's got a great rapport with the pitchers. They like he, him. They like the game that he calls. And he's and he's great in the community. He does more than I think any other Ranger for, uh, you know, volunteering and, and, and helping out charities and whatnot. He just, he really cares. He's a good guy. From Robinson Chirinos there as well. Yeah. Also really, really well-known and well-respected in the community with his wife for all the, the work that he was doing. So Rangers Catchers continuing a pretty good and, uh, I think, proud tradition of uh, giving back and the like. Dreen, of course, is the oldest player on this roster who was also here last year, which is a weird thing to think about. And he's yeah. the oldest sort of starting player, if you don't count Culberson and Holt, who uh, Holt obviously starts a lot at third base, and Culberson maybe should be starting some more games if um, statistics are to be believed. Yes. So... Young team trying to carve their way out. We're inviting a lot of new players who we'll see how they interact. You know, obviously, Dane Dunning and Fulton Evans, maybe the most interesting starting pitchers, new players to the organization. Um, Going to kind of gloss over Kohei Arahara today because that's been not very fun to watch for the last two starts, but I still would like to believe, so we're just going to. Oh, he's been on the IL. We haven't seen him in, in a couple weeks. Yeah, uh, Arahara. Yeah, I think he was just yeah. like away. Just. I think it was just COVID protocols. I don't think there's anything wrong with him. I think it's just he shouldn't uh, have gone on that cruise. You know, I'm just yeah, saying. yeah. Uh, but Hyunjung Young has made his major league debut. Interesting player. I uh, had a bunch of notes on him coming into the season that just sort of ended up being a little bit irrelevant because he wasn't a start out in the minors. Um, he has been an MVP in the KBO, which is a notoriously hitter-friendly league. It's a very very high offense environment. Obviously, there's an argument to be made that part of that is because the pitching is definitely not particularly strong um, over in the Korean League. But Young, uh, not a part of that particular problem, has been a very good pitcher. 
doesn't really have the, the raw stuff you expect to see on a top flight starter in the majors, but he's made two long relief appearances for Texas, and he's been extremely good in them. Um, he's obviously pitching his you know, ERA, and I think Brunson is a little bit better than his like strikeout walk numbers, which is kind of where you're pointing to, but he, he has barely walked anybody. I think he's given up the one home run and just two runs given up, if I remember right. Um, that's been good. He really stepped in and, and picked up loads when we had bad starts um, where potentially the bullpen would really be put in a bad spot. So he's a guy who might figure to get a starting nod himself. He's got to keep an eye on, at the very least. He, he doesn't put guys on, on the bags for free, which is really, really nice. You, just, you hate to see a pitcher who kills themselves by walking everyone. He does not do that. Um, doesn't really get a lot of strikeouts either. Puts the ball in play, but thus far has been pretty good about not being hurt over much um, by that. That'll probably go away. I don't think he's going to stay You know, a two ERA guy all season, but another dude to definitely keep an eye on. If you uh, you weren't familiar with him coming over and then sort of sitting in the minors, well, on the side of the alt side, I guess he wasn't in the minors because there is no minor league baseball until now. But uh, he was optioned down, so that's been cool. Um, we've gotten to see a little bit more of uh, uh, it's apparently Joely Rodriguez, uh, yeah, not Joely. I think there was a yeah, I heard that discussion on the broadcast about it, but it's Joely Rodriguez um, who has been pretty good. Uh, in his appearances here. We've obviously not really gotten to see much of him since he came over from, if I remember right, the Phillies due to just some 2020 shenanigans and then injuries here and there, but has looked like he's a useful piece in the back end of that bullpen in front of the oddly effective closer, Ian Kennedy. Yeah. And then Colby Eller's not someone to sleep on either. I think he could get a shot as a starter here um, sometime. He's uh, a... Currently rocking a 1.8 ERA. He's got 15 strikeouts and 10 innings pitched. 0.8 whip, which is pretty awesome in five games. So yeah, he has the best strikeout rate on the team. Um, yeah, regardless of sample, just ahead of Ian Kennedy. Uh, and when you have a, a sort of flex pitcher who's getting swing to misses like that, also um, uh, one of the best walk rates on the team. I'm uh, just taking a brief look here. I think the only player with a better walk rate than him is Kennedy who has not walked anybody this season. Allard, wow. sub 3% walk rate. That's the yeah. most extremely exciting thing to me. Yeah. Uh, he's obviously leaving guys on base really well, so he's just not giving up runs. And will he stay lucky? Well, Fangraphs just think he's been lucky. They think he his ERA of 1.8 is actually higher than his fielding independent pitching or his expected fielding independent pitching, which is really, really good. That is good. It's extremely good. So... Yeah, he's a guy who could play himself into a, a starting position, especially if Arahara, they decide he needs some rest or they want to uh, transition to the bullpen for a little bit, you know, whatever they might want to do there. Yeah. If or Jordan just Lyles tell Jordan Lyles to sit down. Yeah. We could, we could Lyles, do without him. There was some discussion about Lyles being in that one of those. I think Lyles was, was named just one of the guys who was in a tandem position, right? Yeah. Um, so maybe you swap them out and you have Lyles come in as a, as a relief pitcher. I obviously wouldn't be super heartbroken to not have to watch a lot of Jordan Lyles starts going forward. And no. maybe Colby has uh, has earned it. And this is a team that can definitely afford to take some risks there. Again, this is not a team that we're expecting to be a, a playoff contender. So if you want to reward a guy having a great start by saying, hey, man, you're going you're gonna to get the start. You're going to go out there and you're a starting pitcher again. Maybe that's what Allard needed. He needed some good games, and he needs to be rewarded with that, keep moving up the ladder, as it were. 
it'd be cool. I'm obviously a huge fan of Colby Allard. Have been for many years. Would love to see that that transition happen for him. If he just stays a very effective relief pitcher, also good. That's fine. Refresh my memory. He was uh, from the Braves. Yeah, Braves. And that was um, that was Coldplay that we. Traded I believe for him? he was in the Chris Martin trade. Yes. Okay. Which is great. Yeah, that's a, a great place to pick up some value, especially if you can. If you get a starting pitcher out of Chris Martin, yeah, yeah, you've done well. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I'm, I'm just gonna take a quick click over here, see what Mr. Martin has been up to. I have seen him. Uh, less than two innings pitched on the season. Uh, okay, nominal. <laughs> so one one and two thirds innings of uh, probably fairly mopey looking baseball from uh, Mr. Martin, but. Uh, yeah, I'll take a Colby Allard. I, I loved that trade when it happened. Do, yeah. For exactly those lines of like, yeah, I'll take a, a very fungible sort of middle relief pitcher for any guy with interesting prospect upside. And, and Allard has not displayed that upside in the majors yet, uh, before this season, I mean. But right. this is a very good year. It's very promising. Love to see some more of that. If Allard can establish himself as a starting pitcher, now we're up to three interesting young arms who are potentially parts of a future rotation. And if you have three controllable pitchers between Fulte and Dunning and Allard, none of whom are, you know, your Jake DeGroms or your Max Scherzers or whatever, but are just useful players who don't hurt you when they make starts, so you're not flinching every time you look at the box and go, oh god, it's another Fulton Evitt start. Whenever you have that, you have three of those guys, you just need to sign, like, one more good pitcher. Yeah. Hope that a guy like a, you mentioned him before, being some of the minors, like a guy like a Cole Wynn develops himself. Mm-hmm. He should be getting a, uh, a start for Frisco, like, this week. Yep. The minors Their opening day week, is right? on Tuesday. Yeah, the 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 double-A system, um, or at least for the, I forget what they call the league now, was the Texas League. Um, oh, is it not the Texas League now? Oh, they, they changed, changed it. They're all they're all like directional, so it's like South, South Central, whatever. It, they took oh. all the fun out of it. There's no more Sally League, which is really annoying. <gasps> it's not the South Atlantic. Nope. Oh no. Nope. So um, this year, the way they're doing it is, all series will be six game series played Tuesday through Sunday. Monday will be a travel day, and so they said. The way it will work is you probably have two week two series at home, so two weeks straight at home, and then two on the road. So a whole lot less overnight bus rides, which is a great thing, I think, for them. I, I think that this is one of the best things, aside from actually giving them um, a salary that makes them, you know, not just dirt poor. I think this is something that that really benefits the players, and I am all for it. I my hat's off to those guys for figuring that out. Oh, no. Triple-A East, Triple-A West, Double-A yep. Northeast, Double-A South? I told you. Why? What is, I told I mean, you. I guess it's because they probably lost affiliations with the, the league entities. That they, the South Atlantic League is technically an independent organization for Major League Baseball. Yeah, so but assuming Major League, League Baseball, they, there is a way for them to preserve yeah, that. Could. I feel like it, they probably... And, yeah. and they just and they looked at it financially interesting they looked at it and said it wasn't worth paying a couple thousand dollars or whatever to pick up the dang names that sucks and, you know they looked at it and said oh here's a fun thing in baseball that we can take away let's let's do that because they're all about that oh man that is so gross yeah uh, it's so anodyne what do you call it central what do you call a, a hit that's a Texas leaguer now <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, when you call it a double A South leaguer. Yeah, that doesn't really roll off the tongue. No, I I really man, this is that's so depressing. I can't believe you didn't already know that. Yeah, I must have just missed it. I, I totally keep up with the minors. I, I love watching minor league ball, and uh, I was hoping to really catch some Sally games this year. I'm, I'm actually located where um, you're in the heartland. Been, what is the what was the uh, high A? It was the uh, Carolinas League. Uh, I was really hoping to catch some. some I mean, I, I will, but I'm, it's not going to be a Sally game, and that's nope. uh, that's disappointing. No, Dang. you definitely need to be reporting from Hickory uh, and from Kinston. This year, I, oh, yeah. I'm putting it squarely on you. I'm definitely going to be going to uh, Frisco. I will put eyes on Cole Wynn and on Hans Kraus and on uh, oh, Winslow Davis. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's some guys that are going to be fun to watch there, and I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to pop over here and see when my first local one is going to be. Uh, but I will be. I am planning on making trips to see both uh, Hickory and Kinston in their their home ballparks at some point. My first local game. Uh, I get down east in uh, early June, uh, which should be pretty sweet. And, and these are now, as you were mentioning, six game sets. Yeah. So it's uh you you get two on two off basically where you you play the same team for six days Tuesday through Sunday you stay home you play another team six times Tuesday through Sunday and then you you travel that following Monday presumably and then you you're on the road for two weeks, um, which is uh, obviously it's a COVID thing it's trying to just reduce how much travel time. Uh, grossly, I imagine it's a bit of a financial save for the leagues as well who are trying to to streamline their their you know bus rentals and crap like that, which, hooray. Uh, but it does provide for some some interesting little series drama and the like, where you're, you're, you're basically asking teams to start little mini rivalries when you play the same team six games in a row. That's like a World Series. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Some, some interesting narratives that might pop up out of that. It's uh, nice to know. You'll always know if there's a game being played that night or not. That's kind of cool. It is that actually is a really really good thing. If as long as it's not a Monday, you know your, right. your team is on, and so you can you can check the box score. One of my big problems with MILB TV, I'm a, I've said it many times, love MLB TV. I haven't been in Texas, so the blackouts problem is not my problem to to bear. Uh, and I, I'm always a subscriber to the minor league side as well. But just remembering what days the teams are going to be on, much less which stadiums actually had broadcasts, which is its own problem in 2021. Apparently a lot of places are not broadcasting. So I've got some awesome. more bad news for you. If, if, if you didn't know about the, the name, name change in the leagues, um, did you know that, I, if I recall correctly, both Hickory and the Woodies are not going to be televising games this season. Right, and neither of them t- uh, televised very much in the past. Uh, you, every once in a while you get one. I think it was Kinston had more, um, sorry, Down East, uh, had more televised games. Like, they had something with a, a local station. But like Hickory was almost never on their own broadcast. You're always catching these guys on, on other teams. Um, right. Off the top of my head, I'm not remembering. I think that the Mudcats have a broadcast. Um, I... I could make myself look like a big idiot here, but just guessing teams that are formerly in the Sally and Carolinas leagues. Uh, but there were several that you always turn into. Uh, Columbia, the Fireflies, uh, which is, a, I believe, a Mets affiliate. They were a Mets affiliate. I have no clue who they are now. Uh, they always had a really, really good TV broadcast, high quality. A lot of these are very uh, high school sports 
you have one camera and it's kind of crappy and you have a, a dude who's doing both radio and television broadcasting at the same time. Yep. Very, very hard to do. Those are different media. Um, so that's just kind of been the game. And knowing that your team is playing every night, Tuesday through Sunday, just make it a little bit easier to remember to tune in here or there or to get a better chance. You know, when you when your team is visiting a team that actually does still do a television broadcast, potentially you get six games in a row. That's going to be a lot more film for right. casual fans who are right. not, not everybody is as uh, insane a weirdo as me and wants to tune in for three and a half hours of minor league baseball on a Thursday. I get that. But it means you can get the highlights on Twitter the next day and you actually see these light tower shots that we could only read about from Joey Gallo in 2013 with Hickory or you get to watch Hans Krause's absurd shimmy. If you haven't seen yeah. Hans Krause pitch, it's very fun. <laughs> he likes to do weird stuff up there. Oh, I will watch it this season, trust me. A little Johnny Cueto, a little, uh, I mean, I don't like making the, the comp, but a, a little bit of a, the, the Trevor Bauer uh, swagger. Um, and, and hopefully that's all, maybe in the effective pitching, is all that he borrows from Mr. Bauer. That's a good hit from Joey Gallo. Yes. That's going to be a yes. double. Yeah. That does seem like a ball that should have been like 20 rows back. It does, especially with the roof open. Like that, he really put a pretty solid-looking swing on it. But uh, it looks like he got just underneath it. I think that's the problem. Yeah, it looks like maybe off the end of the bat too. I haven't seen the uh, the slow mo replay here, but it did look a little, not quite. No, that was pretty much the sweet spot. Didn't quite get all of it though. Just a, yeah. a, you know, a very convincing line drive that he turns into a double pretty easily. Still a, a good runner. Pretty uh, pretty light on his feet for our dude who weighs uh, two hundred sixty-five pounds. Give or take. And now Adelis has ducks on the pond. He should be able to drive this one home. Yeah, come on. Bring it in. Come on, Adelis. So we'll keep watching that. Uh, we really hope to be able to start reporting on some minor league stuff. Um, oh, yes. my. The Fayetteville... Um, uh, what is it called? The, um, oh, the, the Latin Heritage... Um, like event that they basically done the last couple of years where they teams will wear alternative uh, uniforms Copa de Diversión that's what it's called um, I, I got the uh, the hickory when they they, came, they became the llamas uh, two years ago it's one of my favorite hats love it the Fayetteville ones are extremely good and I will be acquiring one of these hats you're oh, a hat guy I do, I do like my hats yeah well he got the runner to third uh, yep sort of a, Advance the job. guy. One out, runner on third. Texas should be able to find a way to bring Joey home. Let's see if David Dahl and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa can uh, complete that work here. <sighs> so, minor leagues uh, on the immediate horizon. We will hopefully have um, some some fresh, fresh box scores and some beautifully idiotic uh, batting lines and pitching lines to report on when next we come to you. And we, we should... Uh Get Mike Tepid on with us here uh, in the next several weeks to uh, talk said minor leagues. Uh, uh, we yeah, were, we were approached him about it, and he's excited. So bring it on. us all up with the, the beautiful, beautiful tepid takes, which are never tepid. It's the it's the, the beauty no. of the whole environment. <laughs> yes, yes. And since we didn't have minor leagues last last year, we're we're more than starving for uh, some minor league stats to look at. Oh, absolutely. Did they just show Pat Mahomes at this game? I have no idea. I am pretty confident it was Pat Mahomes. He was wearing a Royals uniform. He's a, a huge Kansas City like supporter, generally. 
Full on uniform with spikes and stirrups? Uh, you know, I, I did not get below the waist. Uh, they, they, they tastefully showed only the upper half of, of Mr. Mahomes. That I, um, yeah, that's fun. I, that's a, an interesting game to find yourself wearing a Royals jersey at. It's a uh, Red Sox-Rangers game between two pretty disappointing teams in early. Well, I guess the Red Sox uh, fixed their, their terrible start. And but, Mr. Uh, Dahl got uh, Mr. Gallo home. There you go. Two to one. Uh, let's hope Texas can uh, can bring this one out. It would be nice to take three of four here in the home set from the Red Sox. It's always good to try and silence. Oh, that's an interesting fair ball call, too. Yeah. Huh. I guess it hit right behind the the bag at first. Yeah. Okay. I was like, that ball was absolutely foul. I guess it hit just behind, not in front of the bag. Um, that's what I get for doing like four things at once. Would love to silence all the Red Sox fans who have turned uh, Arlington into Fenway South. Oh, I, Which I guess that. is what the the official major league title for it would be as well with the the minors getting changed. It's just it's Fenway South now. I hate that. I do too. <sighs> so depressing. Oh well, let's take three or four. That'd be fun. Um, you know, keep keep some of these good things rolling. Get some of the minor leagues getting got. Let's hope that uh, Kyle Gibson turns himself into some fun prospects towards the end of the season and he gets replaced smoothly in the starting rotation by a an advanced-looking Cole Wynn. You know, there you go. Absolutely. I'm all for it. Yeah, go Rangers. Go Rangers. <laughs> <laughs>